Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from London is Keith Reed. Keith's a longtime member of the compliance community and the author of the book, The Unconventional Compliance Officer, Doing Things Differently. Uh, first, Keith, thanks for taking time away from your evening to talk to us. Thanks for the invitation, Adam. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. You've got some very interesting ideas that I think are worth exploring. I hope to in the course of this call. For one, you're an advocate of going from compliance push to what you call employee pull, which I think is an ideal state. First, can you outline what you mean by employee pull? Sure. Um, so I, I'd I'd say that I'd suggest that every compliance officer in the world, regardless of geography, sector, industry, or whatever, spends their time pushing. You push out training, you push out reminders, you push out escalations, you push out communications, you push out policies and all the other stuff that comes with the, with the job. But what all that pushing leads to is compliance fatigue and compliance pushback. Um, as an example, you, you might think you've got great training figures, let's say 98% completions and so on. But when you scratch that surface, you might well find that the, the training's done in five minutes on a Friday night or an assistant completes the training for their boss, or even perhaps for a whole office, and I've certainly encountered that. So what this is about is how you create pull, so that people are really genuinely engaged with compliance ethics and don't see it as a chore. Um, just one example of what I've done to achieve that objective is, is to turn push to, to, to pull, was to really create a, what I call the compliance passport. Um, I mean, when people do their compliance and ethics training, what happens? They might perhaps print a certificate, but then throw it in their drawer. But more likely, the, the record just stays on the system and it's never visited again until the training reminder comes around again in a, in a year or two's time. But what I found was that creating a passport you know, gives, gives people a, a more formal, a more valuable and, and, and durable sort of certification of their achievement. Um, and it also acts as a vehicle to, to maintain people's in, engagement. Uh, for example, without a, without a current passport, it could be made that people can't apply for jobs and promotions. You know, there, there's lots of examples that you can link to the passport. I mean, personally, I, I heard people in the corridor say, you know, I got my passport today. And, and they were genuinely proud and genuinely engaged, you know, longer term. And, and it's also important to note, to recognize that some people may not have a wealth of qualifications. So giving them something like this may be a key, an important qualification term. So to me, it was really a win-win a approach. It sounds like a great idea. And certainly for any company dealing with anti-corruption risk, uh, having a compliance passport is a, a fitting reminder of the importance of compliance. And, and I like the idea that, you know, like, that, you know, somebody who travels a lot, I love collecting stamps as I go along and it becomes a badge of pride. And I think you know, it's an interesting way to extend that same feeling to the world of compliance. Now, one of the th other things you advocate for are more rewards for compliance. And that's traditionally been a very difficult area to get support for. Are you talking incentives or some smaller rewards? That's a, a good question. So, I mean, like you, I, I've seen endless debate over rewards for compliance. And, and often that's as far as it gets. A lot of debate, nothing happens I, one way or the other. Um, and I, I'd suggest that rewards can take a wide variety of forms and that they're w certainly worth 
experimenting with and, and considering and then and then taking different approaches to um so so one example was that i ran a competition for, for both for individuals and small teams to identify compliance and ethics issues um now to be honest when when i launched this i thought mm, wonder what the take-up will be i thought it would be low but much to my surprise it was really well received you know we got a raft of entries and you know, some of which were genuinely valuable to, to our compliance program at the end there were some very modest prices prizes so so rewards but but the benefits far outweighed you know, what, what those, those were and so on it was all about engagement and people genuinely seemed engaged um i also experimented with rewards for early completers of their training so those people entered into a pool who could potentially win a, a modest prize um, but what was interesting is that we found that certain groups of employees were more engaged with that um, but some of those were the very groups that had historically been a challenge and difficult to, to get to uh, you know they were always late completers of training and such like and so the reward process was was genuinely helpful and as I stress, it didn't appeal to some employee groups, but to others, they really welcomed it. And the investment cost was was minimal. Um, I mean, the thread that will, will run throughout what we talk about today is really the benefits of, of joined up compliance. It's an easy phrase, but that's what I, I really want to touch on today. Um, so, for example, the passport also represents an opportunity for incentives to be linked to it. So in a nutshell, what we're considering here is both carefully structured incentives and also modest rewards that, that can, done well, deliver major benefit. Does that make sense? No, it does. And, and it, it makes the good point that when people think about incentives, they tend to think of gigantic cash rewards and things like that. And sometimes the small things, the feeling that I've accomplished something or the feelings uh, that come out of competition um, are important. I, I, I always remember when my children were little, uh, if I told them to put something back in their room, they just would glare at me and not want to do it and trudge off. But if I told them I, I would time them as to how long it would take to put it, put it in their room and come back, they ran eagerly to do it. Um, and uh, it was just a, a good example that sometimes people need something that will motivate them. And if we can find it, it's a, a great way to turn something that was drudgery into something that they're interested in doing. Now, you also have an interesting concept, which I'll describe as licensed professionals. Um, what does that mean? So, very again, a very good question. So, um, so as, as an example, um, most companies will have a procurement team. Um, some big, some very big, some small, but they'll have a procurement team. And, and clearly, you know, procurement brings with it a, a, a raft of crucial compliance, ethics, and, and process requirements that companies have to discharge properly if they're not going to find themselves, you know, facing a raft of issues, you know, including appeals and disgruntled, unsuccessful tenderers, you know, potentially in the courts and, and, the, and the press. So some procurement people will, will be professionally qualified, no question, but often the majority aren't. And, and so, for example, what we established was what we called the licensed buyer scheme that, that really incorporated sort of role-specific compliance and ethics training and testing into what was, in this case, a high-risk group. The same approach could be used for other groups, such as sales and marketing and, and so on. But what this is basically saying is we are licensing you to, to operate. 
you're doing some training, you're doing some testing, some qualifications, and so on. Um, you know, you may say this is great, but 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 so what? But but in reality, not only can it be used to improve compliance and ethics performance and and policy compliance, but in my experience, it also can deliver tangible financial benefit because the licensing process um, requires people to formalize their experience and, and can be used as a gate to stop them procuring on behalf of the company if they don't have their qualification and they don't keep it up to date. You know, I, I personally experienced a situation where in, in overseas procurement was going on. Once we introduced the, the the buying scheme and so on, that meant that people couldn't buy without it. And, and it tightened up a lot of the processes as a byproduct. So um, I, I, you know, I can't recommend that sort of approach for sales, marketing, procurement and so on too strongly. Hmm. Very interesting. Now, a lot of risk comes from third party vendors, which is something we sort of started wading into as you talk about procurement who and these vendors may find compliance requirements burdensome is there a way to similarly help convert them uh, that's a that's an interesting question um I, I see so many events and meetings on third parties you know due diligence and such like but i, I do think there's a, a really crucial gap and an opportunity perhaps because and i'm, I'm sorry to say this a lack of realism or perhaps naivety as to as a, around the compliance and ethics risks that the third parties pose. Um, so as an example, um, you know, a vendor bids for a contract, ticks all the boxes, wins the contract, and then gets on with delivery. During that, they may or may not be audited, but often the audit is pre-announced, and so auditors can be deceived. Um, perhaps you don't believe that happens, but I've seen working fire extinguishers being delivered in time for the audit, and take it away afterwards. I've seen dangerous and unmaintained lifts or elevators being marked out of order and not in use to avoid audit and inspection. I've also counted employees in and out of factories. Employees are working hours that bear no relation to the assurances and the books and records that have been provided. So all I'm saying is you have to be really cautious about third parties and they can't be sort of always let off the hook during the duration of the, of the, of the contract. So one day I was standing outside a cafe um, in, in London um, and, and I noticed you know, that most cafes and restaurants have a hygiene performance rating and it's called scores on the doors. It's a five star scheme and their performance is, is measured in that way. It struck me that, that scores on the doors would be a good way of measuring and presenting the sort of ongoing compliance performance of third parties, such that, for example, you know, if you're a five star vendor, you get a certificate, listed, you're listed as a five-star vendor, you get an invitation to a prestigious annual event, company event, and such like. Suddenly, we introduced that, and third parties were generally engaged with compliance and ethics, and certainly wanted to be out of position themselves as a, as a five-star vendor, and, and, and they really wanted to leverage those perceived benefits of the rating. And, and also, um, you know, they really fought to get to that annual event, but also, there was a, there was a pull-through effect that Everybody wanted to get onto that bandwagon. It was a, seemed to be a really powerful tool for really minor investment. Um, you know, in, in practice, uh, this sort of scores on the doors approach could be limited to high-risk vendors. But the benefits, as I say, from, from, from really modest investment could be really valuable, um, particularly in, in engaging and driving the importance of compliance and ethics. It's, it's certainly, I'd suggest, worth an experiment.
It's it's a really intriguing idea, and I think you know the public display and the ability to publicly display that you've met standards is great. Especially, for example, you're a large company. People want that because they know that'll help them get business from other large companies and medium and smaller ones too. Finally, since we're starting to run out of time, um, you raise an interesting notion of a compliance covenant. What does that mean uh, in practice? So. Uh, briefly, um, and I'm going to quote here, a dictionary definition of a covenant is an agreement or promise to engage in or refrain from something. So in the UK, for example, we have an armed forces covenant, which is a promise by the nation, essentially, that those who serve or have served in the armed forces and their families are treated fairly. So it struck me that realistically, periodically, if you send out a request to complete some training or an email about a new compliance issue or a new policy was guaranteed to result in a groan from the recipient and pretty much ensured that it got put to the bottom of the pile. Um, you know, this is all part of the compliance fatigue that I, fatigue that I talked about earlier. Um, my experience was that by using what I you know, a really passionately written compliance covenant from me, delivered to everyone in the company, from the most senior to the most junior, um, was really powerful. I, I remember saying uh, in this in this letter, I will never ask you to do anything you don't need to do. I will never ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do. But what I ask you to do, you have to do. Um, and, and that sort of really fundamentally shifted the perception of compliance. I mean, for the first time, it was more personalized, more passionate, and certainly pulled no punches about why compliance and ethics are important, particularly when, when I incorporated some really dire examples, very serious examples of compliance and ethics failures, some of which I've, I've included in the book. Fascinating. Well, Keith, thank you so much uh, for all the thoughtfulness that you've demonstrated through your career and sharing that with everyone. Uh, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Trilltaup from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective. <laughs>